0: Hello and welcome to the Kick Aspirational Podcast. My name is David Vanderveen. I've been fortunate enough to build businesses around the world with thousands of entrepreneurs. You can find out more about me at davidvanderveen.com. But you know, as I've traveled the world and, and had these opportunities to meet and work and, and alongside a lot of very interesting people, the question that I keep getting is how can I create the life that I want? How can I create the brand, the behaviors, the, the culture that motivate and drive me? And so this podcast is dedicated to those questions. It's interviewing other people who are on that journey, as well as telling some of my own stories that I hope will help anyone who's wanted to start their own company, create their own brand, build their own life, figure out how to do it for themselves. The simple answer is there are no simple answers. But I think that if we work together and if we interact and if we workshop, we can figure out great ways to move forward in life and create a life worth living, a life with purpose and meaning, a life that makes us all a little bit more kick aspirational. This is the Kick Aspirational Podcast, and we're lucky today to have Dr. John Russon on the podcast. Uh, John's an internationally recognized strength coach, speaker, and writer, uh, but he's got more than a decade of elite-level training experience with a lot of advanced degrees in both exercise science and physical therapy. Um, Dr. Russon, you've worked with elite athletes, MLB, all-stars, NFL, all-pros, Olympic gold medalists, but you've also created um, all sorts of interesting work around pain-free performance and, um, you know, helping top professional athletes and normal people uh, get better at, at doing managing and and doing their, their fitness without, without hurting themselves. And I think that's actually a pretty big, uh, pretty big statement. So welcome to the podcast today.
1: David, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, no, we're, we're, we're so, so happy to have you. Um, John, tell us a little bit about what you do, where you do it, who you do it with.
1: Yeah, It's an interesting one because I have one of those jobs that people go, so how do you make money and how do you work? I went from being a full-time strength and conditioning coach uh, 17 years ago is when I started, all the way up to what I do today is I manage a couple online brands, but also my biggest business is the Pain-Free Performance Specialist Certification, which certifies personal trainers, physical therapists, and physicians all across the world in our pain-free performance training model, which has certified over 15,000 coaches in person in the last four years. So that's one of my key focuses today. And we run anywhere from about 200 to 220 live in-person events per year. And these are two-day certification courses all across the globe. That's
0: amazing. I want to get into the pain-free component in a minute, but maybe before we get there, Tell us about your background and how you got from, where, where did you start? What got you interested in fitness and performance training and and really digging into what makes performance training better? and um, And how did you get to where you are today? Where are you, by the way?
1: i'm in madison wisconsin right now uh we are fighting the smoke go badgers storm. yeah go Badgers! <laughs> we're in a smoke storm right now we're on the lake and you can't see across it it's a little bit bizarre thanks canada on the fourth of july weekend but <laughs> are, like wait
0: are you on Men, Men, menona or Mendota? wait i know there's two lakes is it minota Men, mendota
1: nona yeah
0: okay so you're on nona okay <laughs>
1: so the background i like to say that i've been born into what i currently do today and i didn't necessarily know i was up until maybe 15 years ago so my mother was a dean of health and human services at one of my alma maters which is damon college in buffalo new york my hometown and my dad was an athletic director was also a university professor at the university of buffalo another one of my alma maters so i was living in a household of mentors throughout my entire childhood and even into my adulthood, from an athletics perspective, from a trainings perspective, but also from a health and medical perspective. And it took me a long time to have an appreciation for having two professionals that were also Dr. Russins inside of my own house. But looking back on my upbringing and some of the opportunities that I had, the mentoring that I uh, received... What I do today is a hybrid of what I was given from the experience and a lot of the different opportunities that my mom and dad both provided me at a super early age.
0: I'm just muting so you don't get too much background noise here. Um, how did you transition from, you know, obviously great parenting, parents who were mentors, um, learning probably just breathing it growing up more or less to working with elite athletes like how did how did you make the leap to you know performance at what I would guess performance at its highest level um you know and, and obviously what you've learned there to to where it is today
1: as cliche as it sounds I grew up an athlete uh <laughs> and I was baseball basketball football I dabbled in a lot of different things when I was younger and I ended up being a division one scholarship recipient for baseball oh wow and Football was my key focus, and training was part of the game. Training was my off-season plan, and I was really fortunate to have a lot of experiences around the University of Buffalo. Inside of my high school was Williamsville North High School in Buffalo, New York, and there were some really good coaches that I had exposure to from about 15 on. In terms of the weight room, in terms of strength training, and really getting a know of what it is to perform at a high level, what it takes but also the types of investments that happen off the field, the types of investments in your body that need to happen on the other 23 hours of the day that you're not doing your sport or not training. So I ended up playing baseball in college. And three years in, uh, one of my professors called me into the office. It was actually my advisor. And he said, John, you have enough credits to graduate in exercise science right now. And I was like, Cool. Let's do that. <laughs> so I ended up graduating early and it provided me like a really cool path forward because I had this year of like, well, what the hell am I supposed to do? I ended up working inside of the weight room uh, at University of Buffalo, working with their Olympic sports. And one of my favorite sports to coach at that point in time was men's and women's basketball from a strength and conditioning perspective. Wait, I
0: have a question. There's yeah. uh, there's an Olympic training center at at, at Buffalo. I didn't know that.
1: Well, Olympic sports. So everything that's not basically football. So that's what they call all the other stuff. So it's things like we did crew, uh, we did basketball, track and field, there was wrestling teams. So all of those Olympic style sports, so sports that would be eventually in the Olympics or currently in the Olympics, it was everything except for the Americana of football. Got it.
0: Got yeah. it. That's considered. I, I hadn't heard that term yet before, so that, that's that's really helpful. So you're working with everyone who's not like you know part of the football team or one of the one of the key uh, one of the stick and ball sports. I'm guessing is that is that right?
1: Yeah, exactly. So a lot of exposure to different sports, but really coming back to having a mentor early on with Coach Ed Fitzsimmons, which who was the director of uh, the Olympic sport at University of Buffalo, and. He had a little bit of a different take on what strength and conditioning should look like. He had a different vision point, and this is a number of decades ago, that, dare I say, functional training for wow. athletes. Well, wow. wow. I knew? Yeah. Very quickly. Yeah. And it's something that personally helped me. Um, a little bit more on my baseball background, I actually tore my ulnar collateral ligament twice both elbows gone once in my senior year in high school, and then once in my sophomore year in college. And these are catastrophic injuries—the types of injuries that end up going under the knife for something called Tommy John surgery. That is everyone's worst nightmare if you wow. are indeed a baseball player.
0: Were you a pitcher? I, was it? Was it like is that? Why you're getting the elbow? Because the so like the, the first curveball? injury
1: was uh, throwing from the outfield. So I played center field. Oh, wow. Okay. So we used to throw really hard from the outfield with these big crow hops, and first yeah. one was actually done throwing in high school uh, in a. Pre-game warm-up, and the second one, I was actually diving for a ball in center field on a really bad northern field. One of the first games of the season uh, oh. while at the University of Rhode Island, and these injuries were interesting to me because they really just put me down. You know, as career enders. And I ended up opting out of surgery. I ended up opting not into physical therapy, but opting into strength and conditioning from a more prehabilitative perspective. And the coach that helped me through this process was Coach Fitzsimmons. And he became the guy that I learned most from, uh, the one that I spent the most time in the weight room with, and the one that I had those deeper conversations along my own training and how I could actually facilitate that training for our athletes, where it was a paradigm shift in hey, I'm no longer an athlete. Now I'm a coach and I'm going to pay it forward to what I've experienced, but also the knowledge base and the education formally that I have to try to chase this down at a higher level.
0: Wow. And is that, so, I mean, is, is that what led you to work with, with, with elite athletes, like working through like kind of proactive strengthening and conditioning so that you're not being injured? And is that also what sort of, I mean, this is kind of a loaded question. Is that also what brought you to pain-free? Maybe help us, uh, I'm kind of feeling my way through this, but it sounds like that may be sort of the origin of, of how you ended up where you are today.
1: Yeah, I made one other big jump between these two things. I ended up doing a three and a half year doctoral program in physical therapy uh, while I was in Buffalo working with the University of Buffalo. And this was something that I got into not because of my love of physical therapy or rehabilitation. I simply wanted more knowledge along the lines of sports performance. I don't recommend that if you're interested in sports performance, you get into something different like physical therapy, but it tended to provide some opportunities that was a launching pad for me in my career. After graduating from doctor of physical therapy graduate school, I ended up moving from Buffalo, New York, my hometown, where I spent my first 24 years on this earth out to San Diego, California. And I was able to work at a high performance center where we manage a lot of top athletes in multiple different sports and physical training endeavors. And that was my first real move into the world of high performance athletics. And that was an eye opener. Even being from Buffalo, New York, which is Western New York, it's not New York City. Yeah. Going out to Southern California, the mecca of training, um, learning on a real scale happen at such expedited rates out there oh, that yeah. it was the it was unbelievable just to be a young kid that had grind and hustle behind him, be able to keep your eyes and ears open, learn from the best, but also have people that you're rubbing shoulders with really just pay it forward and be able to teach you above and beyond the doctoral education that you already have.
0: No, it's amazing. I'm I'm sitting in Laguna beach right now. And um, this has been our home home for, for a long time, for more than 20 years, we lived in California for oh boy for, for more than 30, but the, you know, the thing that's amazing about Southern California, right, especially from sort of orange County South is, is it's, it's all about functional food and beverage. It's all about functional sport I mean, the performance levels are off the charts and you get all these people flowing through who may not live here full time, but they're here a lot just to to get those those levels up. And it's arguably also, you know, you move from maybe the I grew up in West Michigan, so it's sort of similar to Buffalo, all the lake effect. I mean, you move from some of the worst weather in the United States to some of the (laughs) best. It depends what you like. If you like rain and snow, it's, you know, Michigan and Buffalo are great. But if you. (laughs) you're arguably moving to some of the best weather in the world, right? It's just, it's always perfect training weather. It seems like. It's a culture shock. I
1: went from making sound nutritional choices in Buffalo, which was not having sausage and pepperoni on my pizza, instead of putting onions on it, (laughs) not the Southern California and having every option imaginable, having your clients walk in that are general fitness clients be in better shape than you are. And you're like, this is a different culture and people are living a little bit differently here but there's a lot to learn because the evolution and people really leading from the front especially out in that region in the health fitness and wellness areas there's nowhere better in the world in my opinion
0: no you're right i mean it's and i think and just to hinge on that i th- i think the you know what you discover here really quickly especially along the coast right i mean you go inland it's a little different but along the coast i mean there's just we call it three sport days, right? You're you're in the ocean, you're hiking, you're mountain biking, you're just doing things constantly because you don't live inside here. You live outdoors, and you're always kind of moving. And then you're fueling that movement. And you start to figure out you you listen to your body better. You start to feel how different foods react and 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 help and support or don't. It's a, it's a different game. Um, so how did so so you move to Southern California? You start working with a lot of elite athletes. At what point, you know, I think the. Help me understand this, and if, if I'm getting this wrong, correct me. Um, your pain-free training kind of program now, is is that the focus of what you're doing? And how did sort of what you did with, with elite athletes and, and your work you did here kind of lead you to that? And why in the heck did you move back to the Midwest? <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is a good story, and it was out of necessity is the long and the short of it. But I spent a number of years out in Southern California working with private clients, going between L.A. and San Diego, predominantly with overhead throwing sport athletes. Baseball is my thing. So the baseball guys tended to gravitate towards me and my background and my knowledge, expertise and education. And that was what I love to do. And very quickly, uh, I ran into just some professional choices that needed to be made. Uh, My dad, you know, my early on mentor, he actually got diagnosed with stage four esophageal cancer. And it's up to me as an only child to come back to Buffalo, New York, to be able to see him through his last two months on this earth and be able to be there for my mom who was struggling with that transition. So I look back on it and I did at that point in time, give up on my dream. My dream was to do exactly what I was doing out in Southern California, but there were other pressing matters. So that brought me back to Buffalo, New York for a number of months where I was able to sit and reflect on a very traumatic time, if we're being honest here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there sure. I was in limbo. I didn't know necessarily what the next move was. In the next number of years were tough. I moved to Houston, Texas, uh, started sports performance there, worked with a number of awesome athletes, had a great time. I ended up back in Southern California, doing what I was doing before, and then ended up in the Midwest. The Midwest was an interesting one because all of a sudden my entire background is in professional sports. Right. You don't have any professional sports <laughs> in Wisconsin. <laughs> the closest thing to it is beer drinking or yeah. cheese bird eating. Right, right. <laughs> those weren't sports that people were looking for sports performance specialists to hire. So I was in an interesting area, but this struggle, really, what it was uh, led me to some of the career opportunities of my lifetime. I ended up going to China and working for a year with the Chinese Olympic Committee, uh, about four months of being at Madison, Wisconsin, full time. I simply needed to work. I needed to work into my specialty. And the Chinese Olympic Committee uh, hired me to come into Beijing. I worked at the Olympic Training Center, worked with a number of their medalists, uh, future medalists as well, and then 16 of their developmental teams. So, working on lead programming, but also pseudo personal training for some of their high performers. Doing that for enough, you learn a lot. I like to think I grew up over there. You know, we have it easy here in America. Uh, Being over there and being one of six English. Speakers on the Chinese um, soil at the uh, university, or excuse me, at the Olympic Training Center. I grew up very quickly there. And this was an interesting time in my life because I was there without any English speaking friends. Yeah. And I was also on the opposite time from anyone that I would be talking to back in the US. Where were you in China? Beijing.
0: Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. So you're living in Beijing and, you know, as, as a city, like Shanghai has more Westerners, Beijing, some, but not as many. This is not, not as big of an expat community. How long ago was this?
1: Uh, this is nine years ago.
0: Yeah. So f- fewer than probably two.
1: I have to give some better context to this. Not only okay. was I living in Beijing, I was living at the Olympic Training Center. So we lived in basically dormitories where there's four bedrooms and there's a living room and a kitchen. And you shared that with other coaches or other athletes. So if you were an athlete in the development or the Olympic Training Center, you lived on site. Wow. So we were right inside of the first ring and there was no getting out you eat all your meals there at the cafeteria you train there you work there you socialize there and you are there permanently there's no like having fun or socializing this was a 7 day a week 12 hour a day type job wow. where we had high performers we had people that were going out and they're the national pride um some of these athletes and there was high stakes here so the focus was very intense But on those off hours where you just are relaxing, trying to recover just to recoup, I started writing, which is something that I really loathed previously. I can remember like struggling through my doctoral dissertation, not even being able to put sentences together to complete that bad boy. It eventually got done, but I ended up being in China and I'm writing articles about training. I'm writing in-depth resources about our training models, the types of modalities that we're using, the types of clients and the types of avatars that we've had good success with, with this type of training model. And all of a sudden that caught fire, not quickly, but it started to build momentum. So I started drjohnruston.com from a VPN server uh, in China. And that was the start of many of uh, people knowing my name in the industry uh, via my bylines, videos, things that are more in the public space. That was the time where I started social media. Um, it started things like that. And it laid the stage to what uh, currently is the pain-free performance specialist certification. Who were you writing for at the time? At the time, I was writing for anyone who would take me. So it's <laughs> uh, getting out there. Yeah. yeah. T nation.com. So it's a super bro, hardcore website that had a lot of traffic back in its day. Yeah. Second one was bodybuilding.com and then sure. muscleandstrength.com. Those were the big three. Uh, the fourth one that was actually the most interesting was a sports performance site that has previously, fa- or, um, you know, most recently falling off stack.com. And they did a lot of sports performance and pro sports and then collegiate sports. So I was writing upwards of uh, 15 to 17 articles per month at that point. We're not talking about like 200 word blurbs here, like Instagram posts. No, these are in-depth. 7,000 word ultimate resources. But when you do things for long enough, when you have your own training systems and you're having success with those training systems, you have a lot to say if you've never said anything publicly before. So I felt like I was just sitting on a load of content. I was sitting on a load of ideas and I was bored over there. So I had a lot of time to go out and get these ideas through and actually share them with uh, everyone out there.
0: Do you find too that when you actually take the time to write out the ideas that it refines the ideas and gives them more sort of specificity than if you're just sort of doing it and have an outline and have a, 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 you know, a process?
1: There's a big difference between you as an individual being a great coach and being able to take action upon the knowledge or the experience that you have. It's a totally different thing to try to educate somebody that doesn't have your background, knowledge, or experience or education to do exactly the protocols that you're talking about. So the refinement of being able to write things down, organize, simplify, and make it actionable, uh, that was the foundation of the certification course is that – Hey, if I can do this in article form, hey, if people are interested in this subject matter, that I think that it may have a future in being taught to other fitness and sports performance professionals. So tell us.
0: So so let's get into what what pain free strength training is. I mean, I've got a, a lot of questions around that. Um, you know, what are the ten commandments of injury prevention? Um, prevention. Why are they so important? Um, why strength training? What's so what's important about the warm up? But take us through it and you know we can we can go back and forth on this but i'd love to understand what's the framework of pain-free strength training their foundation and kind of what's the what's the process that you take people through
1: the foundation of pain-free performance is simply training to make your body to make your mind and your life better as silly as that sounds many of the training protocols and some of the bastardized Types of programs that we see and exercises that we see on social media today are actually making people worse off than they were before. And from
0: can, can can you take one second and give us a few examples of the things we shouldn't be doing? I have a couple ideas, but I'd love to hear what what you think there.
1: Well, you look at a snippet on Instagram and the people with the loudest voices on social media many times are the people that are not necessarily the experts in their space. And most likely they're the ones that are trying to have the microphone for the wrong reasons. We tend to see people be glorified for things that they are inherently instead of the things that got them there in terms of development. But this would be a laundry list that would take the next seven hours to be able to complete. (laughs) A lot of the mistakes that I see people making center around this single fact. We tend to gravitate towards training for somebody else's body instead of trying to train uniquely for our skill sets, our industries, our body types, our backgrounds, and our specific goals. Just because some booty chick on Instagram has a massive huge ass with a little waist doesn't mean that the thing that she's trying to sell you with bands and body weight is going to get you that exact same physique. There's something called genetics in play, but there's also many different things that happen in the background. But this is the smoke in the mirror effect of social media today in the fitness industry. And one of the biggest reasons why our health is suffering across the board, especially in Western society today.
0: Um, So I'm going to have to get rid of those bands because my booty's not going (laughs) to get, you know, know, time
1: and place. It's not an absolute (laughs) uh, solution for all things always. And yeah, that's no, one of the bases of pain-free performance as well, is that we look at a multimodal, holistic approach of trying to train all the foundational movement patterns, all the physical characteristics, and everything that inherently a human body should be able to do. And we do that, we gain and we maintain for life. Right. That is going to be the key. But all of that is dependent on you feeling and functioning your best because it's really hard to get lean. It's really hard to build muscle. It's really hard to perform at your highest levels on the field court or, sp- or uh, sport if you are in pain. In right. my background with sports performance athletes and even moving more into general fitness population, the one determining factor above all else that really predispose people to not being able to achieve their goals or achieving their goals and not being able to sustain them is being in too much pain, having aches and pains that limit somebody's movement abilities. And that being always the slippery slope that is one step away from being back on the couch.
0: I, I noticed in one of your Instagram videos, by the way, tell your, your Instagram is is it is it Dr. Joan, Dr. Joan, Dr. John Rawson, do, uh, at Dr. John Rawson. Is that right? At D r j o h n r um, o s i n. I noticed you, you were talking about pain-free backs, and you were saying, "Hey, if you've got back pain, you know, here's a leg workout." And you were doing some—is uh, it called a reverse curl? It's a—it's a leg curl. Tell, tell us about some of the different things for like lower back pain. What, what are the? What are the? How how can working out actually make you give you less pain or get you pain-free?
1: Exercise is a miracle drug in itself, but exercise isn't all inclusive. We need to have targeted exercise that's defined as training and having a more targeted training approach really with a focus on strength across the board is something that most people know that they should be doing but they get confused as to the best way to go about it. You know, a lot of the things along the lines of subclinical level pain, we're talking about aches and pains, not a torn ACL here. For sure, yeah. Level pain is usually a combination of two things, poor movement abilities, aka mobility, and really just poor strength levels. You simply aren't relatively strong uh, per your body weight. And if we can start to reestablish what it is to move well, squat, hinge, lunge, push, pull, carry, being able to rotate and locomote your body and being able to mobilize and strengthen across the spectrum, this is one of the key determining factors to not only feeling good, but having better health. Having better longevity, trying to improve not only lifespan, but health span, and going one step further and being able to have play span, which is being able to be mm. physically fit deep right. into life. These are the types of things that strength and a movement based practice can deliver. And it's almost like it's news today that that's a good thing. I remember a number of years ago, uh, Time uh, Magazine had a cover article that said, Exercise is good. And everyone in the industry was like, God damn, it took us (laughs) 150 years of studying exercise to say that it has benefits.
0: Was there somebody fighting that
1: argument? (laughs) Yeah, and there are people that are going to be fighting this argument. But what we need to do is take a deactivated model of movement, which is today 30% of the American population is getting sub-1800 steps per day and getting them active. Okay, let's move a little bit more. But simply just moving a little bit more is not going to make our body bulletproof. It's not going to make us strong, it's not going to make us resilient, and it's not going to get us to what I like to call physical autonomy. Being able to do what you do, what you want to do, when you want to do it, without repercussions of pain, injuries, or burnout in the process. Because it's easy to start, it's harder to sustain.
0: Hi, this is Dave Vanderveen, and and this is a little ad for my one of my favorite brands for Nirvana Water Sciences, where I happen to be the CEO. But I wanted to share with you why I became the CEO. You know, I I didn't have to get a new job. I didn't have to come to this company. It was some a company I've been talking to for over a year before I joined them. Uh, I was absolutely enamored with their science, with HMB, uh, beta hydroxy beta metabutyrate which which amplifies protein synthesis. And, you know, I'm 54. The older I get, the more that matters because as we age, you know, as we get past 30, we start losing five to 6% of our muscle mass every year. And, you know, I'm a guy who likes to get out there, get active, have adventure. And I like to, you know, ski powder and and with helicopters. I like to surf bigger waves. I like to free dive. I I like to move. I like to run. I like to trail run. Um, I like to hike. And all those things require only muscle mass, and this is where strength training becomes critical, right? Where you actually have to, well, actually tell us about this. So, um, I'd like to get into injury prevention and warmups and things. But you know, I know you also focus a lot on strength training. If I'm understanding your your workouts correctly, what's the? You know, for a while it was all everybody was trying to you know, run all the time. It was a lot of running and cardio. And, you know, if you walked into a gym, there's tons of cardio machines, some, some, some free weights and things, but not that, not that many. Now it seems to have swung fully the other way. Um, We talk about this a lot at Nirvana because, you know, we have supplements, HMB and things that really help amplify protein synthesis and help people stop losing their lean muscle mass, stop atrophy. But what, um, why is there this big shift right now into strength training? Why is strength training so important?
1: I believe that there is going to be a shift and it's already started and it's going to continue to start. That is going to be a little bit more of a 50, 50 swing between cardio and strength. Everything that we know to be effective is a combination of both things it's right. one versus the other. Right. But in the inception of the 1960s, 1970s, we had a metric fuck ton of research showing that <laughs> cardiovascular abilities, uh, it improved your quality of life. It improved your longevity. We clearly define those two terms, quality of life and longevity very well, but it helped us live longer. Hey, cardio is important. But calling it what it is, cardio is just simpler than strength training. How do you do your cardio? You get on the cardio deck. You can pick your bike. You can go on an elliptical. If you're a real badass, you could run on the treadmill. And it is a simple process. When it comes to strength training, there's so many ambiguities to what you should be doing. Many people, instead of actually going through and spending the time or spending the money on hiring a professional to guide this process for them, they go, ah, fuck it. I'm just going to go and do cardio uh, 30 minutes, three days a week, and that should be good enough.
0: Right. Well, you see people walking on the treadmill, reading a book and, you know, I'm for me anyways, I'm like, why are you even here? Like, well, I'm yeah. probably, probably better than nothing, but it's close to nothing. I mean, it's, uh, you know, versus, especially as we age, like I'm in my fifties, you know, if, if I'm not doing intervals and sprinting, I'm probably not getting that much out of it. Um, it, there's just anyways, and you can correct me by the way, if you think I'm, I'm misspeaking. Um, but yeah, so 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 go ahead and, and can continue on this journey with us. Yeah,
1: well, I think uh, we had the right idea that, hey, we need to get people active 60s, 70s, 80s roll around. And yes, people are more cardiovascularly active than they are today, arguably. But all of a sudden, like lifestyle started to shift. All of a sudden, we're moving less during our daily lives. All of a sudden, we're sitting more in front of computers and cell phones. We are highly sedentary today in 2023 versus what we were 10 years ago even, let alone 30 years ago. We are totally different beings today than we were back then. Problem is, is that all of a sudden, when our movement goes down and our inability to actually combat these sedentary positions... Or these sedentary days, or weeks, or months of our lives, the best thing that we could possibly do is to start to re-engineer and try to reverse some of these positions via loaded strength training. And we weren't necessarily getting that, but it is a complex problem today because we have more people in America currently that have gym memberships than ever before. Yeah, right. We also have less people using personal training than we did five years ago and we have a whole lot of minutiae happening on social media where people are being misguided and misled in what it takes or what they should be doing and it becomes a very muddied and a very loud and confusing space for people simply to do the right things if their goal is to live a better life period and these things don't have to be highly complicated They are quite simple, but the way that we do them needs to be more mainstreamed, and that's one of the big focuses that we have with PPSC.
0: And this is one of the things that you offer, right? You'll actually help people identify what they should be doing, kind of what their goals are, help them create a schedule that fits their life, and a process that gets them into a pain-free workout that that will actually enhance their body so they don't have to go under the knife or don't have to do as much physical therapy. Is that, is that right?
1: It is. And it sounds like this is going to be super intimidating. it sounds like you need three or four hours a day in order to reverse all the <laughs> problems that you have. The average person that I work with and that goes through our systems, they have a couple of days a week. They have maybe an hour per day. But maximizing that time instead of doing nothing or instead of doing the wrong things, that's a, a big problem today. That can get us back on the path to success, right?
0: right. That you, it, go ahead. Sorry. sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I mean, but I think so. And you think about it, people like, oh, I don't know if I have it. Everybody has an hour. Everybody has an hour a day. If, if you manage your calendar where you could fit it, where you could fit it in, if, if it's important to you. Um, and you're saying an hour twice a week or three times a week. Um, do they have to go to a gym to get the benefits or are these things that people can do while they're at home, if they're traveling? How do you, how do you work with busy people with, you know, with uh, complicated lives?
1: Busy people with complicated lives are, are 90%. <laughs> and we can find a solution for almost everyone, but there is something powerful about being inside of a gym, in an environment where other people are on that mission with you, even if they're not training with you. Right. Just the physical presence and their energy can be a total game changer, especially when we're talking about sustainable behavior change. But there are also people that take it within themselves to get it done no matter what and try to habituate a physical practice that can serve their life. The big problem with motivation is that motivation will be fleeting. As soon as something happens that is unexpected, we tend to fall off. So the best motivator or the best way to stay on a sustainable path is simply to believe in what you're doing and see tangible benefits from it. It doesn't have to be losing 100 pounds in six weeks. But it means, needs to mean that I'm feeling better than I was without doing this. I'm actually seeing notable gains that could be on a metric of whether we're lifting more weight, whether we're running faster, whether we're simply not having lower back or knee pain. Right. And being on that path is super rewarding. And what we try to get people to do is within six to eight weeks is create a lifestyle around this. And it becomes something that you depend on. Being able to be physically fit and being able to take self-responsibility for the function of your body, it's something that on a day-to-day basis, you know if you do, you are going to be a better mother, you're going to be a better father, you're going to be a better uh, community member, you're going to be a better boss, you're going to be better across the board because of that investment that you made. That's the most motivating factor that my clients hit. and It takes a little bit of a while to get there, but once you're there, you couldn't imagine a life without doing this routinely.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's, that's, And do you notice that people when they're, when they're, when they get into one of these programs, especially when, maybe after the first week or so, when you get past some of the, you know, the muscle soreness and things, because you're maybe haven't been moving your body, but when you get into the routine, do you find that a lot of people find that working out isn't just good for their body, but it's good for their mind as well? I mean, there's a psychological benefit
1: there's a massive psychological benefit. And I'm a believer that if you never get leaner, if you never lift more weight, if you never run a faster mile, and you mentally have clarity, calmness, and control of your life, that is a huge ROI on what you just did. Right? There's many people out there that train not for the aesthetics, not for the physical nature, but the scientifically proven benefits mentally, emotionally, and psychologically that exercise can achieve. That is powerful, but you can't have one without the other. Many right. times we see the people that are truly the healthiest across the board are mentally and physically strong. And right. that's a skill that needs to be developed. It's not something that's given at birth.
0: No, it, it's and I think too that you you touched on a number of things that one of the things that you mentioned was that you know there's more gym gym memberships in people's wallets or you know historically in people's wallets than there than there have been. But we're also becoming less and less fit, which I assume means most of those people, the gyms are working fine. Most people aren't going to the gym, right? Why is that? Are people burning out? Are people starting a program too aggressively and then not being able to stick with it? Or there's is an accountability issue? What do you think the issues are?
1: We have a quick fix problem in our, our industry today, specifically in America, where we're as bad as it is anywhere across the world. Yeah. Meaning that we think we can undo something in six weeks that took six decades to get us there.
0: Yeah, Just give me a couple of shots of a right? And we'll be all set.
1: It's, it's frustrating for people because they have this main line into their news feeds every single day that, oh, uh, sustainability is out the window. All you need is 30 days to fit you need 30 days from fat to fit. You need all these things. And what ends up happening is somebody's super jacked. They actually make that first jump into the first stage of behavior change and they enter into a training scenario or a fitness or exercise scenario. And this happens almost every single time. They try to do too much, too quick, and they end up breaking down, burning out, or ending injured. And at that point in time, they're back at home and they're more deactivated than ever before. And they're worse off than when they were to attempt it started. This is frustrating. And we have stats from 2020 showing that 60% of personal training clients, these are personal training clients spending $150 to $200 an hour on personal training, wow. burning out within six weeks working with a personal trainer. And this is at one of the best gym chains in the world.
0: Crazy. It's crazy.
1: So what does the average person just walking in and thinking that they're going to put their own program together have? There's really zero chance because we've been inundated with the wrong information. And we lack qualified knowledge and simplistic models for people to just have a step-by-step success forward. And this is something that we'll continue to fight in the industry. But the problem is that there's not a whole lot of money in health. There's not a whole lot of money in self-sustainability. But you know what? If we're in this industry for the right reason, if we're trying to make a market change in the level and the life that people are living, we need to know that this is not only a person by person problem or a societal problem. This is a human problem. And we need to start being able to reverse some of these chronic health conditions that we currently are seeing at epidemic levels today.
0: What What are the ways that I mean, I assume that you connect nutrition and fitness. Is that right? Are both both important? How do you how do you connect nutrition goals with the pain-free, uh, pain free pain 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 free training process?
1: I'm a big believer in habit based formation, and as much information as there is in training exercise out there, there's six to ten times as much information on diet. One of the reasons being, not everyone has to exercise, but everyone has to eat. So there's a <laughs> lot of different varying opinions on what the best way is. Cutting through all that bullshit, I have clients that are vegans. I have clients that are on carnivore. I have clients everywhere in between. We try to work on matching lifestyle and nutritional protocols with our training. And these are based on principles and habits as opposed to programs or based on certain systems. Right. It's a tough one today because people are very emotionally attached to what goes into their mouth.
0: Right.
1: Only from a results perspective, but from an ethical perspective, from a belief system, from religion. There's a lot of different cofactors that manipulate people's minds into thinking, this is what I want to do with my own nutritional intakes. Right. And today, calling it what it is. There's a lot of addiction problems when it comes to food, when it comes to alcohol, when it comes to both of those things really uh, synergizing to leave people behind the eight ball when it comes to behavior change.
0: Yeah, I remember my my trainer said to me at one point, he said, uh, I said, you know, we're trying to get down to a flatter tummy and maybe seeing a six pack again, maybe. And he, I said, uh, I said, you know, can you, what's it going to take? And he goes, well, only only drink on the weekends. Don't don't drink during the week. And I was like, yeah, but what else can we do? You know, because there's a, it's that. I don't want to change anything. You know, it's. Uh, I think somebody said uh, Jim Collins said. You know, a big, hairy, audacious goal is one where the difference between a big, hairy, audacious goal and just a goal is, you know, January first, you're going to lose some weight. So maybe, you know, you read the the cracker jack box before you eat it. Versus, I'm going to do my best. You know, have my. I'm going to. I'm going to win my age division in the Ironman. Okay, now you have to change everything. Like you're going to be. You're going to. You know, you're going to transform everything if you're going to try and get to that goal so a big goal will totally change you versus ah, i'm going to try and lose a little weight which is an abstract goal with no real teeth in it you're probably not going to do anything different you might consider something before you do the same thing um what are what do you what do you, what do you what's what's your nutritional plan what do you, what's like from you know what do you do in the morning what's your afternoon? what what do you eat throughout the day what's your typical nutrition program look like for you
1: I'm pretty structured, um, running four businesses, having a seven-year-old son, and being able to travel multiple times a month, every month, it's uh, very structured and very repeatable. So I'm a big believer in a whole foods-based diet where you're eating simple ingredients, you're eating things that uh, that really do well for you. Specifically for me, a lot of my protein intakes comes from fish, comes from beef, and a little bit from chicken and eggs and i use simple things like fruits Uh, bananas are huge in my diet especially in the morning around training Um, things like blueberries and raspberries and of course, we have pizza once a week with my son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But
0: but maybe not every night. <laughs>
1: I like to be able to sit down and have breakfast, have lunch and have a dinner. And it's repeatable. It's something that I don't have to think about. And we do do pretty good at meal prepping. It's not like super macro based, but it's, hey, we know exactly what's going in just so I can simplify this process. And that's something that's worked really, really well for me. Um, you know, there's coffee mixed in there, uh, there's some supplementation, but on a repeat basis, uh, being able to really prioritize two things. Protein intake needs to be on point. For me, I like to be at 1.2 grams per pound of body weight. For for me, it's about 200 to 210 grams per day. I can get that in no problem. I know that the rest is going to be really good. If I can take that one step further, especially if I'm traveling, it's every meal has some sort of fruit or vegetable in it. Right. We can get fiber intake up and that really helps a carb carb perspective but also from an energy perspective and then the rest can just be hey fats are up fats are down hey i'm using this for flavor versus that i'm a huge believer in if we simply just got people eating more protein and we had them eating more fruits and vegetables obviously that are specific to their needs or their tastes, we would be doing a lot better we try to make things so complicated only eat uh, ribeye steaks for the next thing of the day. <laughs> right.
0: Liver King. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Or yeah. you know what? Don't eat any protein. Protein's bad. Uh, everything's always found somewhere in the middle, but honestly, you can't go wrong with things are naturally occurring and things that I heard a great quote the other day. If it was, it wasn't around 150 years ago, it's probably not something that belongs in your body. Right. It's like, wow, there's some truth to that.
0: Right. So to go with, go with whole fruits and vegetables, whole, whole proteins. Do you use protein supplements like whey protein or anything like that?
1: Yeah. yeah I use a whey protein supplement once a day, uh, usually uh, right after the post-workout window. So within like 30 to 60 minutes of uh, completing a training session, I'm pretty regimented every morning. It's usually five to 7.00 AM is work. And then seven to 7.30 is driving my son to school. Eight o'clock to 9.30 is training. And then 9.30 on through the day is working. Um, And throughout that, the repeatability of me depending on my workouts, me depending on having my fuel, it really helps me from a professional perspective, but also just from a positive energy perspective. I can be a better dad because I'm feeling good. I can be a good partner. I can be a good boss just because I'm feeling my best that day. And I have more control over feeling my best than most people want to give themselves credit for.
0: That's that's great. I have noticed, um, you know, when we're talking about diet and and people are trying to, you know, I'd like the 1.2 grams per per pound of body weight. Those those are amazing simple ways to think about, you know, making sure you're getting enough protein with those fruits and vegetables, you know, with the fiber, you know, that's that's tied together with the, with those 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 uh, fruit sugars. Do you um do you notice like as obviously I'm I'm over 50 now and and you know maintaining lean muscle mass becomes harder. That's true for everybody as we age. Past thirty, we start losing about five percent of our lean muscle mass a year, unless we're actively working to to support it. Are there supplements or other things that you do? You, how do you encourage people to build and maintain muscle mass as we age? And and why is that important? I mean, is there a correlation between lean muscle mass and longevity or overall health?
1: So the argument is uh, strength. In cardio. And then muscle mass would be the third key indicator for health, longevity, and performance. And as you get older, strength becomes more and more important. And as you get older, the maintenance of muscle mass and the maintenance of your body composition becomes very important. Strength training is huge. Yeah, Protein, adequate protein intake is huge. And I hate that statistic, even though it's true that we're losing X amount of muscle mass per year past the age of 35. Yes, it is true. But you know who's not losing muscle mass? People that are strength training two plus times per week. Bingo. People yeah. that are eating 0.8 to 1.2 grams of protein per pound of body weight. Right. These are simple things that we need to be doing. But the problem is that be- People don't necessarily realize that they're doing themselves a disservice earlier on in their life, and then they get to fifty-five or sixty-five, and they go, "What the fuck just happened?" Right. And saying, back up, back up, pick me back up, and trying to really redefine the odds of muscle building at an extended age, things like that. So I always say, train smart from the start. But if we can't do that, it doesn't mean that we still can't make gains. My oldest client right now is 82 years old. And he was able to, in the last two years, make market improvements in his body composition and gain muscle. Wow. Wow. So don't tell me that age is a disability when it comes to your body comp or your muscle mass or your strength levels. We have this misconception that We all think that we maximized our performance at age 28. Like we were an Olympic athlete in Beijing working with me. (laughs) We weren't. Like I wasn't, you weren't. And we did not even explore any of our potential early on in our life. That's a good thing for most people because we still have that potential. We still have those bullets in the chamber of our gun to shoot off later on in life. And we still have those newbie gains to be made. Many people just write themselves off thinking, oh, I'm too old to strength train. Oh, I'm too old to get lean. I'm too old to worry about what I'm eating. Oh, my behavior, my habits are just what it is. I'm going to do what I want to do. You're not too old. And also, whatever happened in terms of your injury history, whatever happened in terms of your medical history, you can rewrite the book. Of course, it's going to be best guided with health and fitness professionals. But if you actually go in and find knowledgeable, credible sources, you can rewrite the chapters of your own life. You know, strength training literally has been shown to reverse the aging process. Now, that is a powerful indicator for longevity if I've ever heard one.
0: 100%. And no, just, I, I agree with you. So, I I played soccer in college. One of the things that we had to do when we came back, you know, back to back to school and you're kind of doing the summer camp thing is they'd make us run seven four hundreds or four forties, where you'd run one it had to be under sixty seconds, then you'd walk a lap, run another one under sixty seconds, walk a lap, and you know by the the first few if you're if you're a sprinter you aren't isn't that big a deal by the fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh people are throwing up on the track right, <laughs> and um and I think the, the that's always stuck in my mind and I have nightmares about going back to college in my fifties and trying to do, do this. In fact, it was so bad. I actually tried to go do it at the local track here in Laguna. And, you know, I was, I was uh, discovered in my times were not sub 60 in the 400 anymore. But, uh, (laughs) But what, but what's the flip side of that is I've also picked up, you know, I've started surfing a lot more later in life, started skiing a lot more later in life and all of those things can dramatically improve. And give you lots of great reasons to do your strength right like the reason i work on my quads in the summer is because i know that in the winter if i don't work on my quads my skiing is going to be terrible for the first two weeks and it's going to be very painful and so it forces you to do these things so i think i mean i totally relate to it i think that's absolutely correct and you know the fact that an 82 year old can build lean muscle mass and start changing his bmi tells you that if he can do it anybody can do it right it doesn't mean that that it's, it's necessarily that you're going to have, you're going to lose your lean muscle mass. It means if you don't do something about it, it's all going to start going downhill. Um, that's, that's really, really helpful. And, and, uh, and I think it's, it's something that, you know, people, if for nothing else than long-term health and longevity, they ought to get in touch with you to figure out how to get, you know, a pain-free workout going and build their, start building and transforming their, their BMI and their, their lean muscle. So, what are you working on now and, and what what's next for for dr john Russin?
1: we are continuing on five to seven certification courses every weekend uh july 4th weekends are only weekend off of the year so we're enjoying wow. that but we are having a lot of new offerings launched in the next six months or so so we have new courses new training programs and Actually, working on an ultimate resource that will be hitting the shelves uh, in 2024 of all bookstores and anywhere books are sold. So that's very exciting.
0: Well, I'd love to, to uh, yeah, I'd love to to uh, to get more information about the books, and um, we'll make sure to tell us tell us how people find you. So you've got your Instagram is Dr. John Russin at Dr. John Russin. You've got a website. Tell, Tell us about the different places people can find you.
1: Yeah. So on social media, if you want to follow me on Instagram at Dr. John Russon, uh, Facebook's exactly the same, Dr. John Russin, And my website is drjohnrusson.com. And for the pain-free performance specialist certification course and all information with in-person training courses, it is getppsc.com. And there are a lot of massive free resources on all of those different social media handles and those websites.
0: And then my my last question. This is uh, I asked this for to everybody, and um, love to hear your response. So, do you, have you learned more from your successes or your failures?
1: I've learned more from my failures looking back on it than anything else in life. And you don't necessarily know you're learning from your failures while you're failing because you're too busy trying to figure out how to make your way forward and actually succeed off of something that could seemingly be catastrophic for you. Uh, I've had to start over three plus times in my career. And every single time I thought that this was the end of the road and the end of the road was just starting. It was just starting in a slightly different direction. I took a different road to get to the destination. And I think that the things that we learn when our backs are pressed up against the wall, it really makes you see what's true, what's good, and what's important in your life and what you're worth fighting for, what's worth fighting for, what do you believe in, and what is your mission here on this earth. And that passion and purpose isn't found in the easy days. It's found in the trying days. It's found in the days that you question what you're doing. And every single time that you come back from something like that, you not only create strength and resiliency, but you create longevity in what you love to do. And it's the same thing in training.
0: Yeah, it's the same thing. Working to failure is where you find strength. That's that's a great a great analogy and metaphor. And uh, I just uh, really appreciate uh, all of this history and and understanding that you know we can change our bodies, we can change our health, and that. Uh, if we can get into a pain-free process, we'll probably stick with it. So thank you very, very much, uh, Dr. John. Appreciate your time today. Appreciate you joining the Kick Aspirational podcast and helping us think about how we break through barriers in our own life. It's been
1: really fantastic. it. It was a blast. Thank you. Thank you for joining another
0: episode of the Kick Aspirational Podcast. You know, the most important thing to remember is this is not a spectator sport. What I'm deeply interested in is hearing about your stories and answering your questions. What does your life look like? What are you trying to accomplish? What are the barriers that you're trying to break through? Because at the end of the day, the Kick Aspirational Podcast is about helping people break through barriers of their own. I'd love to hear what you're working on. I'd love to join you in your battles. And most importantly,
1: whatever you do today, please, among all other things, be Kick Aspirational aspirational.